Hey, People Podcast listeners, this episode is with Adam Ward and Jill Macri. It's one of my favorite episodes as they're both amazing and truly world-class people leaders. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the People Podcast. Are you in human resources, recruiting professionally, or an entrepreneur growing a team? This is the podcast for you. We are going to bring you all of the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to take your workforce to the next level. Implementing the tips and know-how will enable you to create and keep a world-class workforce. Here is your host, Jesse Tinsley. This episode is brought to you by Visage.jobs. Visage combines human and artificial intelligence to source and deliver high-quality candidate profiles to your recruitment teams worldwide within hours. By leveraging Visage for your sourcing, recruitment teams have more time for high-level tasks, ultimately making recruitment more efficient and more human. Check out Visage.jobs. Jill and Adam, thanks so much for joining me on the People Podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. My pleasure is all mine. Just to get started, Adam, why don't you just give me a quick overview of your background and then Jill, you can do the same thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for having us. None of us probably went to school to be in recruiting. So I think we all fell into it in our own way. I think I luckily I found it, you know, in college getting some internships and just kind of growing up through tech recruiting, particularly on the university recruiting side. Uh, so did some startups. Eventually that led to doing some international work in India for university recruiting. And then actually joining Qualcomm for seven years was like my first probably formative role and big role. Um, So I did a lot of APAC recruiting for them and then built out their university recruiting program. Uh, That took me to Facebook pre-IPO 2011. They're around 1,000 employees at the time and built out their university and campus recruiting program. Uh, Grew it out to be pretty big through IPO. uh, Left around 10,000 employees. Went to Pinterest as the head of tech recruiting for a little bit, uh, around 200 employees. And then quickly moved over to the head of recruiting, which I, where I met Jill, we'll probably talk about that, and uh, left in April after IPO. And I think they're around 2,200, 2,300 at the time. Awesome. Jill, yeah. do you want to share a little bit about your background? My background. So I also had kind of heavy international recruiting background and as well as operations recruiting and then just operations in general and was living in Europe and actually running recruiting for a company there when I heard of a company called Airbnb and I fell in love with the concept um, and came back to San Francisco with the mission to go work for them and ended up getting a job. They were luckily for me just starting their first international expansion. So I started doing some hiring for the first international offices. We were around 100 people at that time. And from there, basically, we just grew like crazy. And I was lucky enough to grow along with it and scale out a team. So I led the recruiting team at Airbnb for about five years, grew the team from you know a couple people when I started to about 150 people when I left. And I left about two years ago and the company was just around 4,000 when I left. So that's fantastic. I, that's really interesting. I have so many questions for both of you. Having worked most recently at two hyper growth or three hyper growth companies collectively. But before I get into those questions, like how did you two meet in all of this? So I'm assuming you're both really busy with the hyper growth of Facebook and Pinterest and Airbnb. Yeah. So we were really lucky to actually, um, in the SF war for commercial real estate, Airbnb and Pinterest actually were in the same building for a little while, or at least parts of Airbnb and parts of Pinterest. And it was right around when Ab and I respectively started leading the teams there. And we got introduced through someone who said, you you two should really meet. And we ended up just forming this friendship as we scaled the companies together and went through similar challenges and similar times. So, 
you know, we implemented greenhouse at the same time. And I think we were like the 10th and 15th customer or something like that. We were, you know, doing some, I think we were both kind of like front runners on some of the the diversity work that needed to happen. And we were doing that at the same time and using the same consulting firm. And so we'd meet and chat about that. We like to say that we commiserated and collaborated a lot along the way. And yeah, we were lucky enough to forge this friendship. And and it's interesting because now in our recruiting operations academy that we run, we really impress on people that like, you can learn a lot, hopefully in our trainings and our workshops, but who you're going to end up learning from continuously is the peer set that you have and that you meet in the room. So we really try and help people forge network that way because we've found that it helped us so much throughout our career. Yeah, and we've really tried to like systematize what ha- happened organically between us. And it turns out that running and recruiting and talent at these early and growth stage companies is a really hard and sometimes lo- lonely job. And you rarely can go into your CEO's office and be like, I have no idea how to do my job. It's in your mind every day. <laughs> but having a small network of people where you can be vulnerable, you can benchmark, you can share ideas actually ends up being like really supportive and helpful to being successful in your role. Definitely. I think you're almost alluding to like imposter syndrome in, in some regards, right? Oh, yeah. You're probably more than qualified to do the role, but it seems like, you know, once a week or once a month or once a year that you just feel like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing in, in over my head. How do I do this? Yeah. And, and I'm the company facing this challenge. Yeah. yeah. And it turns out like we're all a bit of a hot mess and we all have like our own mix of like the challenges we have there. Yeah. It was always super helpful for me to know when Adam wasn't 100% sure what he was doing because it made me feel like I looked at him as somebody who, you know, had had so much success at multiple tech companies before Airbnb. And for me, Airbnb was my first tech company. So when he could be vulnerable and say he didn't, wasn't 100% sure what he was doing, it really helped me with my imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's great to hear. What, what's like some of the biggest challenges that, that you think that you guys faced as well as that you see just empirically across talent acquisition or like the organizations themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think the big theme in the companies that we try to work with and connect with are companies that want to grow very quickly, but thoughtfully. And I think Joe often says there's this false dichotomy that I think some founders or leaders um, tell themselves that I can't grow really quickly for the needs of the business, but also do a really good job at diversity or keeping the talent bar high or assessing in a structured way for values. And I think what we learned through, you know, trial and error and, you know, through helping, you know, partnering with others that you actually can do both, but it does take a level of an investment and thoughtfulness and foundation that you put in place to allow you to do both concurrently. That's really, really interesting. And and so you guys both left your respective companies and founded Growth by Design Talent. How did that come about? Like, how did you guys come up with the idea and what inspired you to go your own route? Yeah, so I left Airbnb and started consulting. And I, I loved going into multiple companies and being able to share what some of the things I had learned at Airbnb that I thought really made a difference for us. I actually found like a lot of the, what I thought were the core foundational, most important things to do, a lot of companies weren't doing. So anyways, it, it was interesting to consult to different companies, but I you know, kind of felt like I couldn't reach enough companies, just me, one person out there consulting. And then I think, you know, Adam and I met up for coffee and we both have this passion around up-leveling the function. And we really have seen how impactful having an elevated recruiting function 
who has a seat at the table and also knows what to do with that seat at the table can be. And we've seen the virtuous cycle that happens when you put the right foundation in place and how that helps you scale. And then actually recruiting in a quality way then helps you attract the right kind of talent later. So we just got really excited about the idea. We have a lot of alignment on that. And then our third partner, Mike Joyner, kind of is this recruiting in HR. He would hate that I'm saying this, but operations and like systems guru. He's this perfect blend of design thinking and also very operationally minded. And so we were like, well, if we're going to be successful, we better have that guy with us too. Mm -hmm. And we ended up starting growth by design, basically around this idea that if you grow by design, you can grow into the company that you want to be. The growth doesn't have to just happen to you. Basically, now we have three things that we do. We have an advisory where we help companies with some of the you know, heavy lifts around operational or foundational pieces. We do candidate experience design. We help do, you know, dashboarding out of their ETS so that they have insight into their data. We help them, you know, how do you craft your narrative and your offer pitch, et cetera. Um, and then just basically, you know, depending on what your goals are and the type of company you want to become in terms of diversity, values, talent bar, how do you get really clear on what those things are? And make sure you're um, you're evaluating for them in a way that mitigates bias as much as possible. So that's our advisory. We also do search. So mostly for companies that we have a deeper relationship with through advisory, we will do recruiting leader search. So obviously a key piece to the puzzle is having the right leader for your recruiting team. Um, we're really passionate about that. And so we do search for a small number of companies. And then we have our recruiting leadership academy, which is a series of day-long workshops to help recruiting leaders get better in their craft. It's kind of like what Adam and I wish we'd had the answers to the test when we started in the role. It's like a three-year relationship condensed down into eight hours. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it also addresses some of the gaps we see in the market through search. So we see commonly that founders and CEOs are looking for a certain set of things and there are common gaps. So we're kind of trying to build that it scratches our itch a little bit for mentoring and as well, like we kind of, you know, we miss some parts of having teams that, um, so we get to spend time with recruiting leaders and help them develop. And through those things, we feel like we can really positively impact the industry, positively impact a wider kind of like range of companies as well. That's great. And Adam, anything to add to that? No. So to recap, what you're saying, Jill, you guys do advisory, uh, overview, looking at like talent analytics, which is obviously a really hot space, candidate experience, and um, looking at the applicant tracking system overall. You guys also do search to help build out talent acquisition teams, and you guys run a recruiting uh, academy. Is, is that right? Yep, that's it. Yeah, and maybe I would add that we primarily focus on growth stage companies. Because uh, we think like that's a really important time to be laying these foundations, whether it's a leader, a system, a program, structured interview process, whatever it might be. It's really the right time to implement it while you're still growing um, versus after the fact, um, where it becomes a lot harder to steer a big ship. Got it. And what what are some of like the what are those like main challenges that are com- companies are having problems with in growth stage? I guess compared to you know post IPO or kind of past that stage. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's, you know, there's lots of things. If you think about just the recruiting organization itself, they're struggling to build their own team while also building the company. Uh, often they're not 
implementing the same strategies that they would recommend to their clients when they're building their own recruiting team, mm-hmm. um, like structured interviewing or spending the right amount of time on recruiting for your team. Uh, to, you know, so I think we talk about that a lot. So I think that's that's one challenge. I think the second is you know structuring your ATS and structuring your data so you get insights out of it early on. And we see a lot of companies who you know get too late down the process and they also they almost have to like redesign their ATS and redesign how they process and progress candidates through their ATS and so they can get better structured data and then insights out of there. That's a huge thing that we see. Uh, and then I think the other things that we see that they realize they look back and they don't know why people are getting hired. They don't really have a structured approach to assessing or selection. And so they can't understand like why someone is successful at the company or what, and what are the leading indicators higher in the funnel uh, to do that. And so a lot of the work that we do now is really figuring out what are the key competencies behind certain things? How do we put in a structured process? So we, again, get better those insights that make us make better hiring decisions um, as a company. That's really interesting. I've always curious if either of you have an answer or know if, if maybe Pinterest or Airbnb did this. Did you guys track it all? What basically, like, let's say we have certain interviewers and they say that this person's a strong hire, this person's a strong hire, uh, and other people that are just generally negative on candidates. Did either any of the companies you guys worked at or consulted with recently basically track the long-term performance of people once they were hired? So like, let's say we always we say that this person's a strong hire, but they end up being a weak hire. Does anyone track that data across mm-hmm. the organization from like the hiring point to actual performance? Well, first of all, I think you need to have a large enough data set. You have to be careful about Definitely. conclusions that you draw. And so I feel like as a company, you have to be uh, have a couple things. One, you have to be a large enough data set, enough interviews, but you also need to have a consistent and um, articulated performance management system to actually pull that through. And we see a lot of companies, and there, I was a part of many of them, where they change performance review ratings, mm-hmm. timing, uh, criteria, cycle to cycle. And so that can be really hard to get. Then that makes it really hard to get these like deep insights. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think the best example I can draw upon is when I was at Facebook and we, and we did this and we spent a lot of time on trying to engineer interviewing to make best hiring decisions. And a couple of things that we found. So one is some people are harder graders than others. And what we did over time is we would actually get a heuristic of their ratings over time and then factor that in to know, hey, if this person is an easy rating, but they gave this person a no, like that's a pretty hard no and converse to that. That's one thing. The second thing is we learned is that there are better pickers than others. So there's better interviewers and people who are better at picking top performers over time than others. And it's not correlated to performance. It's actually correlated to interviewing health, interviewing behavior and health. So there are better interviewers, meaning they do more interviews in more consistent roles, and they're better at drawing upon past experiences and using structured interviewing like question banks and rubrics to make those decisions. So that ended up being the key factor of who made a good picker over time. And then in very select cases and select jobs, there were certain things that mattered more. So for example, in for program management and program managers, problem solving mattered more than communication or collaboration, for example. So you can find all these little nuggets within specific jobs, but you really do need a pretty large data set and longitude of performance data to be able to correlate those things. And that's really interesting. If, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that from the research that you've seen, the data you've seen, that basically 
the overall like experience interviewing for that role and the questions that were asked had a stronger indicator of success for that person in that role. Is that correct? Yeah, just like anything else, like people aren't inherently great interviewers, right? They put more hours and practice into doing it like any other skill, right? It's like the 10,000 hours rule, if you if you follow yep. that. Um, yep, that, totally. that applies to interviewing as well. And so when you run a structured interview process and you're asking the same questions of certain candidates for certain roles, you're able to draw upon that bank of knowledge of have a really clear point of view on like what good looks like and what bad looks like. And you actually become more consistent. So inner rate reliability ends up being super important to interviewing over time. Interesting. Any insights from Airbnb, Jill, to add to that? So I think it, Adam's absolutely right about the large data set. Like it takes a while to get there. Just to add, we found with our values interviews, we were really structured in the way we captured data around our values interview. And what it helped us learn over time was actually the ones that are kind of irrelevant to interview for. So it's helpful in that way to know, like he was his program manager example, what you don't actually need to interview for, which is helpful, right? The fewer things that you can interview for more accurately that impact performance, the better. Interesting. And and so you guys have used your experience collectively to basically create a rubric to train train future talent acquisition leaders and people and founders to to recruit for their teams. Maybe elaborate on I know you guys have an academy coming up on in March. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we've had the, the we have the recruiting leadership academy, which is, you know, focused towards leaders or or aspiring leaders. And what we found, we've all found very key to successful recruiting teams at scale is a good operations function, recruiting ops. But there's not a lot of training out there for recruiting ops people. Like I remember I had some aspiring recruiting ops people who were kind of like coordinators who wanted to take on that kind of work early on at Airbnb. And they asked me, I want to go into recruiting operations. Like, what should I do? And I was like, I mean, maybe take an Excel class and like maybe a program management course, but there's nothing really clearly for recruiting ops. And so, and we see it as such a fundamental, you know, and huge lever to to efficiency and effectiveness for recruiting. So we created a recruiting operations academy as well. So we're launching that in March. It's going to be a day for recruiting ops people, leaders, and, you know, anyone, basically, there's some recruiting leaders who are coming, recruiting ops leaders, people who are aspiring to go into recruiting ops and going over some of the fundamentals there. So that's really exciting because that's like a whole function that we see the trend is that that function is growing, but there's not a lot of people who have real depth of expertise in that area. So that's one thing. And then we're doing a founder facing version of our recruiting um, academy. So this is interesting. We, um, so much of the content that we had as we were building it, we thought these are the things that we talk about to, to founders who are our clients all the time, and they could really benefit from this as well. So we're launching that in May And that's going to be, you know, covering some of the fundamentals of just, you know, how to scope a role outside, like when you're hiring for a leadership role that's outside of your area of expertise. So, you know, if you're a founder and CTO, how are you going to hire your first CMO? Um, How do you even approach that? It gives them also an overview of kind of like what recruiting looks like when it's done really well, so that as they go into like growing out their recruiting teams, they will know what to look for. 
yeah, a lot of our founders will ask us, how much time should I be spending on recruiting? Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, if you're not fundraising, it's 60 or 70% of your time. And they're like, okay, great. Next question, like, what should I be doing? <laughs> like, where should I be spending that my time? And so we really kind of walk them through on how to best themselves, like build a culture of recruiting and do recruiting themselves while they're hiring maybe their first recruiter or first recruiting team and things like that. So we really want to help them think about how do you establish a great candidate experience because that can be a huge differentiator for you. What really matters to these candidates as they're, as they're having some initial conversations with the early stage company. So we try to give them kind of the insider view on how to build recruiting from the early days versus a makeup process they do when they've hit a critical mass of 50 employees, for example. Yeah, I think you guys are touching on a really important part of uh, growing companies. I think a lot of founders want to stay involved in recruiting pretty heavily. I'm curious how involved um, Brian Chesky was throughout like that growth phase for Airbnb, as well as I'd love to hear how involved when Mark Zuckerberg was when you joined Facebook for looking over TA as a whole, basically. Yeah. Brian, actually all three founders, Brian, Nate, and Joe were all very involved in recruiting in different ways. When I joined, at least two of them were interviewing every single candidate. So that was like from, you know, and your junior hourly person to senior people. So it became, it was great in some ways in that that's a huge sell for a candidate and really set the tone, but it's also, and we hear the common challenge with a lot of clients it also ends up being a blocker, right? Because you can't move fast when that person's schedule is getting in the way. And basically what we counsel our clients to do and what happened you know, with Brian, Nate, and Joe was like, they wanted to interview everyone because they didn't yet have the confidence that the things that they checked for were being accurately assessed during the interview. So one of the things that I had to do was like help them get that confidence, right? So understand really what was important to them and why are they doing these final interviews and then um, get granular on how we were going to build that into the process. So for Brian, Nate, and Joe, a lot of it had to do with values and making sure that our hires were aligned with the Airbnb values. Well, initially we didn't have values defined, right? So that was the first step. Right. Um, you know, is often a step our companies need to take. And then once you define values, it's like, okay, well, how do those map to behaviors? How do those map to interviewable competencies? And then what subset of people is going to be interviewing for those competencies? And then how are we tracking that over time so that the founders can have confidence that, you know, they're actually being assessed for? You know, still when I left, at least Brian and Joe would approve every offer at Airbnb. We obviously had that down to a system that really worked for them. But basically, they would get a snapshot, a really easily digestible snapshot of feedback that they then could say yes or no to. I personally loved it because it is a forcing function for keeping all of the things that are were important for us at Airbnb top of mind. And you know, you never let that bar slip when you know that it's going to pass by your CEOs, you know, go through your CEOs inbox. It also gave me a real tool for pushback to leaders who might want to, you know, push someone through without, you know, doing the having a diverse slate of candidates because it was a referral or maybe somebody didn't do as well on the values interview, but they wanted to hire them anyways because they worked with them at their last company. It really gave me ammo for saying like, this is non-negotiable and coming back to them and saying, okay, well, we can do that, but Brian's going to have to sign off on it. Is this, you know, it's not you 
against me as the recruiting leader. It's you have to take this to the CEO. So I think it was really actually a great instrument for keeping our bar high on a lot of levels. I think that's great. I, I think what you guys are doing are, is really uh, has a high value for founders, because especially first time founders, they've never recruited before, right? They're right out of college or right out of the large company that they joined for, or basically founded their current company from. So I think that's really high value. Adam would love to hear uh, either about Mark Zuckerberg or, or Ben Silberman and what their take was on that. Yeah. How involved they were in the hiring process. Yeah. Every leader is different. Every company is different. I think for Mark, I joined, you know, post 1000 employees. And, you know, one thing about Mark is he's, he was very, even then very self-aware and where he would spend his time would be very focused. So he'd be very focused on product and engineering but he was quick to have lieutenants of people that he trusted oversee other parts of marketing or sales or HR and recruiting. So Chris Cox, for a long time, for example, ran recruiting and HR, and you know he was you know the main product leader for a long time at Facebook. So he cared a lot around like the data and metrics. He really cared about a lot was like why were people joining and why are people choosing not to join? So he was really interested in the patterns rather than specific cases uh, when it came to recruiting. But uh, he always had lieutenants really closely involved. Another example of that when he had one of his directors of engineering, Jocelyn, she ran tech recruiting for a good piece of time as well. And so that was always nice to have really close business partners around recruiting. I think for Pinterest and Ben, uh, I think he interviewed you know, all finalist candidates up to around 200 employees. And at a certain point where he had a level of confidence that there was a system in place that was going to mitigate, you know, bad decisions, bad hiring decisions. And he felt like where he focused his time was having a really structured values interviews process because he felt like that was, and to him was the most important. The skills, there are other people in the building who could better assess for skills he could no longer scale himself to be interviewing everyone for culture or for fit, fit for company. And so he spent a lot of his time in architecting the systems that would make sure that we let great people in and, you know, uh, vetted out um, those that were not uh, aligned with the, the values of the company. That's great. Thank you both for sharing. What are you guys most excited about? Just some rapid fire questions before we close out. What are you guys most excited for in 2020 in terms of what you guys got going on or what you see from like latest trends in recruiting and and technology, whatnot. I'm excited that I think companies are more and more focusing on doing the foundational work earlier on. And I get excited about that because I think like it's amazing to me what a huge time investment recruiting is and how much time scaling companies spend on it. Like arguably more time than they spend on anything else, right? Than they spend building product. And it's it often in scaling companies is done kind of haphazardly and not intentionally. And it just seems like such a colossal, you know, waste of time, frankly. And then all of a sudden at a thousand people, they'll go, oh, we need to, you know, we need to get structured about this. We need to do a good job of it. Now we're seeing the trend of companies investing in getting the right processes and really getting strategic around hiring very early on. So we have clients that are 50 people or 150 people, and they're putting in processes that other, a lot of companies that are, you know, 5,000 now didn't do until, you know, way past that point. So I just get excited about seeing these companies that we're helping to grow intentionally, kind of grow over the next year and see the outcome of that. Yeah. From the business side, I think companies are also getting very intentional around distributed offices and workforce. 
historically, I think we saw more of an office would open up around a, a specific human uh, that they wanted to hire versus an actual team or product they wanted to build out a location. And more and more distributed offices are becoming a talent strategy than anything else. And companies are just being a lot more thoughtful and strategic about it. I love that people are seeking out recruiting as a career versus something that they kind of fell into or someone taps them on the shoulder and says, uh, you should go do this. Or they can't, you know, not sure what to do. So they go to an agent, they go to an agency to find a job, then all of a sudden become an agency recruiter at that agency, which is all these are common paths. I actually see people choosing early on uh, in their career to come in, to go into recruiting. And I feel like it's a real profession. It's a real job. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's exciting to see people see people hungry and interested to kind of build and grow their careers within recruiting. Awesome. And yeah, I, I totally agree, Jill, with what you're saying too. I, I think, especially if you're not only just from like a candidate experience standpoint, but from a sales standpoint or just working with your customers, essentially, if you're a business to consumer company, candidates are could essentially be your end user or customer. So even if they get rejected, you obviously want them to have a good experience with your brand and your company overall. Even better, some will be your employees, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A small percentage of them will actually become your internal employees. And if they start off with a negative experience, that's really hard to overcome later on, like when it comes to overall engagement. You actually may never recover from that in terms of like their overall engagement. No, I, I totally agree. Actually, I've been saying a lot the last six, 12 months, basically the candidate experience isn't just the recruiting component of the process. It's from like the first contact with the company to the last day you work at the company or last engagement with the company. Yeah. So I totally agree. Awesome. Uh, well, what's the best way for people to reach out to you guys and contact you if they want to learn more about what you guys work on this year or join one of your guys' classes themselves at Growth by Design Talent? Yeah, I, we think our website probably is the best way to check out like what we do and who we are. Um, and reach out to us there. So it's just gbdtalent.com. Great. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Awesome. Jill, Adam, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This week's episode has now come to an end, but our content doesn't end here. Head over to jessetinsley.com where you can find more valuable resources to hire and keep the ultimate workforce. That's jessetinsley.com.